Welcome, everyone, to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Expert Series podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Stacy, the Executive Director for BCLT. And today we're here to talk about the world of design patents and the rule on what qualifies as a primary reference. Uh, it seems that the Federal Circuit in the Campbell Soup case gave us uh, unique guidance, things that we don't, don't hear a lot from the Federal Circuit. So we uh, brought today Emily Bullis of Fenwick to discuss this. Uh, Emily is a patent prosecution expert with that rare specialty in the prosecution of design patents in both the U.S. and abroad. So welcome and thank you for joining us, Emily. Good morning. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me. So, you know, maybe we start with a a little bit of a negative question here, but uh, how did the PTAB get it so wrong? Yeah, so... I think we need to look at this in the wider context of how the PTO handles design patents. The allowance rate for designs is is incredibly high. I think the most recent number I saw on the PTO's website was something like 85%. Um, so for the most part, these, these applications are not receiving art rejections. When we do get pushback from the examiner, it's usually on, you know, minor drawing inconsistencies or, or wanting a, a fix to the broken line statement. Um, but for the most part, we're really just not seeing art rejection. So these cases are getting allowed very regularly. I also think um, it's a little trickier in this case uh, than normal because these these two patents at issue are for multi-article designs, which is fairly unusual as well. The drawings both show this this soup dispenser that you might see in the grocery store, um, as well as a portion of the can itself, this, this cylindrical object, but not all of that is claimed. Um, there are a ton of broken lines here, which, which indicate unclaimed subject matter. And in each of the patents, the area that's actually claimed is it's, it's really minor. It's just some vertical lines in the label area. It's a portion of the cylindrical object. And in one of the two patents, it's these, these little tabs that are keeping the, the can in place. Um, so I think coupling the fact that this is a multi-article design with the large number of broken lines here kind of creates even more ambiguity than there is for for more straightforward products. It, it makes the scope of the design patent harder to parse. Well, let me bring everyone up to speed on something that, that's pretty fundamental, and that's you know really the the guard for issuance of both utility and design patents, and that's obviousness. So this was a case about obviousness in design patents. So you want to remind us how obviousness works for design patents and maybe how it was applied here? Sure, sure. So designs are governed by the same obviousness statute as utilities 103. Um, but the methodology, the actual application differs quite a bit. Um, so for designs, we're looking at whether it would have been obvious for an ordinary designer, someone who has skill in the articles involved, to combine the teachings of the prior art to to arrive at the same overall visual appearance as the claim design. And to do that, you have to start with with a primary reference called a, a Rosen reference, whose design characteristics are basically the same as the claim design, meaning it creates basically the same visual impression to the the designer and that's a that's a really high degree of similarity that's required even at that first step and i think that's 
that's perhaps part of a part of the reason we see so few art rejections in design patents. Um, and so if there if there is a proper primary reference, then other secondary references can be brought in, can be used to modify to create a design that has the same overall visual appearance as the claim design. Um, and so, th- so that was, that was one of the main issues here, uh, the first time, um, when the PTAB first dealt with the case was whether Linz was a proper primary reference. Um, and it, it, again, it was made even more challenging by the fact that we have this multi-article design, um, with the can, the portion of the can and the portion of the dispenser, um, because really this, this primary reference um, analysis that we do for designs was really created in the context of a, a single article design, which wasn't the case here. Um, so I guess, so backing up, Linz does also show a display for cans, uh, but it doesn't have the tabs that were shown in, in one of the two design patents. And it also does not show the can itself, uh, which the patents do. And, and Linz also does, like the patents, disclaim um, a large portion of its dispenser. And so the PTAB had originally said that Linz was not a proper primary reference, in part because the claim designs showed the can um, and Linz did not. Um, and according to the PTAB, it was not proper to add that hypothetical can to the design to make it um, a, a Rosen reference. And on the, the first time the case went up to the federal circuit, uh, they disagreed. They, they found that Linz was a proper primary reference since it was clear that, that Linz was also made to hold cylindrical objects. Um, and it, you know, the, the differences between Linz and, and the two patents was, was very minor. Um, it was enough, you know, the, the similarities were enough uh, to make them uh, basically basically the same. Well, anytime you have obviousness, you have secondary considerations, right? And in this particular case, you have the the somewhat unusual issue of secondary considerations and partial product designs. Uh, help us understand that. Right. So here, Campbell, uh, I mean, Gammon, excuse me, Gammon's commercial embodiment of the claim design, it was called the, the IQ maximizer. It was something you probably everyone has seen at the grocery store. Um, it dispensed soup cans and it originally had sold these, these dispensers to Campbell's. There was a, a ton of commercial success. Um, Campbell's had attributed increased sales of its soup in part to this product. Um, there were, there were copycats. Um, it touted the fact that its label areas were really this, um, this kind of billboard to the consumer to display what the product was. Um, and so those are, you know, those are all things that might be considered secondary, secondary considerations. Um, for those things to prevent a finding of obviousness, there has to be a nexus between the objective indicia and the claim. And so the success has to be due to the invention, not just a result of, of marketing perhaps. Um, but, but traditionally that nexus can be presumed when the patent is commensurate in scope with the product being copied or, or being praised. And so here the, the board said that Gammon's patented designs on the soup dispensers or portions of the soup dispensers were directly incorporated into its its IQ maximizer product 
And so they presumed the nexus between the invention and the secondary considerations. On the second time the case went up to the federal circuit, they reversed, um, focusing on the fact that the design patents really only covered the partial product and therefore the patented design and the product weren't essentially the same thing. Um, the PTAB had focused on how the unclaimed portions of the dispenser weren't significant in the product's ornamental design. But the federal circuit said that wasn't the right question. The question was whether the unclaimed features are insignificant, period, not whether they're insignificant in the, in the context of the ornamental features of the design. Um, so the federal circuit said, no, the IQ maximizer is not the invention. And so we can't presume nexus. Um, Gammon had also tried to prove the nexus by showing that the secondary considerations were directly related to the claimed features, uh, but the Federal Circuit rejected that as well um, and said that secondary considerations are really only permissible when they're associated with the point of novelty of the design, which wasn't the case here. Here, Gammon had really only presented uh, evidence that tied the commercial success and praise to to aspects of the product of the dispenser that were already in the prior art. Um, and so ultimately, they were not able to um, to use those secondary considerations to overcome the obviousness finding. So if you're looking at patent pr- practitioners in this from this case, what, what should they take away from this? Are there just a couple of couple of takeaways that they should apply to their daily practice? Sure. Um on the primary reference issue, I think it gives us maybe a little bit, not too much, but maybe a little bit more insight into the difference between an anticipatory reference and a primary reference for 103 purposes. Um, in the past, there has been a really high degree of similarity that's been required for something to be considered a proper primary reference. And the fact that there are some differences here in terms of, of the tabs, um, in terms of the portions of the label area, uh, the presence or absence of the can, things like that. Uh, it maybe gives us a little bit more guidance on how many of these little differences a reference can have and still be considered a proper Rosen reference. I think the second thing um, it might be that I think it makes it a little harder for partial product claims to get a presumption of nexus, it's it's really going to depend on how much of the article is claimed versus unclaimed. If like here, there's an instance where there's just a ton of broken lines, it's nearly always going to be the case, I think, that the invention, what is actually claimed is not the same as the product. And so in those instances, you know, the patent owner will have to do what, what Gammon tried unsuccessfully to do here. And that's to prove the nexus by showing that the secondary considerations, things like copying, commercial success, are directly related to the points of novelty of the design, which which obviously is a harder argument to make. Well, in this case, the, the Federal Circuit obviously re- reversed the PTAB, um, pretty resoundingly reversed. If you're at, at the PTAB, what... What can you take away from this decision? Yeah, not much, I don't think. I, I think 
this is a seems like a missed opportunity. I think the federal circuit really had the chance to to give us some good guidance on how to do the obviousness analysis for design patents. Um, and I, I really think they they just kind of missed the ball on that. This is a fairly confusing area of law, and I don't think that uh, this decision does too too much to clarify to clarify that. So the the final question for you: Did did federal circuits get to the right result? I do think they got to the right result. I think Linz is a proper primary reference here. There are some differences, but you know I think overall the similarities outweigh the differences. Despite the fact that there's no can in Linz, I think the shape of the dispenser clearly indicates what it's meant to hold. It really can only dispense a cylindrical object like a soup can or a soda can. Um, so I don't think that Linz anticipates the patents, um, but that wasn't the issue here. I do think it's sufficiently close to be considered a, a primary, proper primary reference and, and render the designs obvious. Well, Emily, thank you for your time today and your insight on this case. Um, hopefully the, the federal circuit will um, try to clear up this confusion uh, over the next decade or so, but uh, based on how infrequently it picks up a design patent case, um, I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah, I think it might be a little while till we see another one. Very. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for having me.